All right, welcome to your second last, third last day, second last day of light at this hour. <laughs> right. Welcome to that. It's Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. In the studio with me is UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski. Happy Friday, Rick. And uh, not a whole lot to talk about. So I don't know what we're going to do here. So. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know where to start, but I I was I was like yesterday just in the middle of the night I guess last night just sending you tweets and I learned that now when you send someone tweets over Facebook like Messenger now you have no idea because Facebook and Twitter have, have now I think Twitter started it and now Facebook the the thumbnail that pops up to show you what you're going to get is no longer there. Twitter started that, and now Facebook looks like they're retaliating. So if someone hacks my account and starts sending you tweets, you don't know what you're going to get. It's a big risk when you're clicking on something and you don't know what you're clicking on. Yeah, then I I think you could probably trust uh, some of that stuff. But yeah, Twitter, sometimes you just just never know. Yeah. Um, but but, But a couple of the tweets, just Wisconsin politics was... Um, we're, we're going to fire Megan Wolf now, who was in town. I don't know if you noticed that. She yeah. was in town a couple of days ago. In fact, the Journal Sentinel covered that event. Well, we did too. Oh, and Wisdom. <laughs> and Wisdom covered it. I think a lot of people did. It's all, you know, that I think maybe that would have went beyond the story too is, oh, they're doing this election integrity or, you know, just trying to, trying to ease people's minds about how elections are run. We had Tommy Thompson on Wisdom, my case, had him on a couple weeks ago uh, leading up to that event. Um, obviously, Republicans and Democrats come to that meeting. Yeah, I saw Mike Hipsch at that event. Yeah, and it's all, it's all like, hey, elections, we're, we're good. All this stuff from the guy that lost is BS. Um, we've never been here before, right? Yeah, and... I, I think it's an interesting approach by this group, Keeping Our Republic. They describe themselves as a nonpartisan voter education nonprofit. They're going around the state holding these town halls where they have local elected officials, local elections administrators, and then they've got people like Megan Wolf, who's the top elections administrator in Wisconsin, and just trying to share information. The logic here is that if you just share people if you just share the information with the people about how elections work, then hopefully that can combat some of the conspiracy theories. Hopefully that can combat some of the false information that spreads, or at least give people the ability to fight back against those conspiracy theories and false information. Because folks like those local elections administrators, they're not too excited about their jobs anymore in a lot of cases. There's a lot of them who have left the profession because they don't want to be harassed. They don't want to be targeted on social media. They don't want to be the targets of conspiracy theories. So the stakes are high here. I mean, like, who would want to be an elections administrator at this point in time, given all of the hostility towards them? So I think this is an important project, given the broader importance of elections administration in a democracy. And then Megan Wolf was, how would you say it? She was hired by a bipartisan. Yeah. The, the legislature or, or Wisconsin or, Elections Commission. The Wisconsin Election yep. Commission. Okay, so the, the they they hired her. Yep. They all agreed, and then they lose in 2020. All the Republicans on the commission say, "Meh." But the the interesting part about her firing and now her impeaching. So we're doing this now again. We're all in because 
when the GOP and the legislature fired her, a couple of weeks later, it went to court. Yep. And then the GOP had to come clean with honesty. And they said, ah, we actually knew we couldn't fire her. It was all just... It was like public relations. Yeah, we were just doing a PR campaign to show. But that's, I don't know, there should be some penalties for, hey, you're doing a thing that you know isn't right, isn't legal, and then it goes to court. You, I don't know, pay the court fees. Evers, make them pay the court fees again. Well, you know, Rick, shows how there is a bit of a different standard of proof in a legislature versus a court of law. How in the legislature, people could get upset at Megan Wolf, people could rail against her. When it goes into a court of law, there's a bit of a different standard applied to the claims being made. And turns out that a lot of the claims being made against her were more public relations claims as opposed to any legal claims against her position. Now, there is talk about going forward with impeachment of Megan Wolf. That uh, that that got referred to committee by Assembly Speaker Robin Voss. And so we don't know quite what's going to happen there. But Robin Voss is certainly under pressure by the base of his party for Maybe, you know, will he go forward with impeaching Megan Wolf? That's the big question right now. What's, what's interesting about that, though, it's not about Megan Wolf anymore, right? For, uh, no, none this of this is, is about, really about her. This is about power. Yeah. The the GOP is trying to impeach uh, Janet Protasiewicz, the newly elected Wisconsin Supreme Court justice, because they are threatened by her vote, which will curtail their power in a gerrymandering case. Now they want to fire Megan Wolf, and I don't know what kind of power Megan Wolf has, but she has the power over the Wisconsin Election Commission. So essentially, I, I guess it would be hard to maybe maybe you kind of understand it, but like, what is that position, and how much power, and how does she con- how much control does she have over elections? Because the Senate has to conf- if they impeach her, the Senate has to confirm her replacement and the Senate is Republican. So it'll be a three, three vote or whatever. So we're doing because we Republicans created a, uh, an elections commission that's three to three instead of nonpartisan. They, the three Democrats, three Republicans, because then nothing gets done to your point, Rick, Megan Wolf is a stand in for a broader set of grievances and complaints regarding the 2020 election. So when we're talking about Megan Wolf, we're really talking about the 2020 election. We're perpetuating this myth. If you go back to uh, how we started this conversation with uh, the group called Oh Keep, yeah, Keep My Keep Republic. Our Republic. Yeah. So there, you know, the, we have this group of of, of Republicans and yeah. Democrats that are saying there's nothing going on here. And then we have the legislature saying, we got to fire Wolf because there's something going on here until they have to go to court about it. And then they're like, mm, there's nothing going on here. Yeah, there's a split. How much do legislators want to move on from the 2020 election? How much do legislators want to keep fighting those battles surrounding the 2020 election? And if they do want to keep fighting those battles surrounding the 2020 election, how much do they make Megan Wolf the symbol? Of their complaints. Right, the new symbol, the new symbol. She really is. And because in 2020, you and I, well, when we were talking about this stuff, I said we're going, and perpetuates the word I'm going to use again, we're going to perpetuate this for four years. We're just, just well, going to keep this. we're three years out now. We're three years out now, yeah. and why would we Why would we stop now? If they replace Megan Wolf, it would, it would die. So they probably kind of want the fight. But also, like, the Gableman thing didn't work. We hire a former conservative Supreme Court justice to 
uh, investigate the 2020 election. And then if we find out he's crazy and he finds nothing and he's working out of an office, that's what was the, the weird thing. Remember that? Yeah, it was between a plastic surgeon and a couples therapist. Yeah, he's doing that. And then he's also <laughs> at like the public library using yeah. a public computer to work on right. election integrity stuff. Yeah, like he was this. conducting the investigation on a public computer at a library. <laughs> right. So yeah. like what's going on? Uh, Two million dollars plus. That's what costs taxpayers. All right. We're going to take a break we'll be back it's november it's time rick it's time <laughs> the world's worst christmas song <laughs> the more like world's best world's best except He's... for andy williams the best non-andy williams christmas song 608-785-7914 is the talking text line how many of you out there where it do hits. you rank this song? Well, it's not even that. As no, when November first hits, do you start playing this song? Do you, and all the other ones? It seems a little early to me. Classic hits miss or uh, classic? What do they call it? Christmas? I can't remember. Classic hits. They play classic Christmas, and in, in, uh but that hasn't even started yet. So we're just getting a head start. I think my on dad. I think I'll, my mom, if she's listening, sometimes she listens. She could text me. I think my dad does start November 1st, but it's way too early. I mean, we did have winter already, and now spring has come. And so we, you know, spring is, winter is kind of over. It's hard to even do that if it's not cold enough out for a jacket. Although I did, you did wear a jacket. Maybe I'm a weirdo and don't wear a jacket. But, um, yeah, on the flip side, you, so so daylight savings and daylight saving, I don't think it's plural, ends this weekend. So we're going to lose that hour where we can leave work and it'll be light out anymore. Yep. And everyone goes into depression for four months. This would be the first time that we wouldn't have to change the clocks in the U.S. Had the House last year pass the bill to allow daylight save. No, was it? No, it was two years ago, right? It they was had their chance. I can't remember. Two years it ago. It must have been two years because Democrats had the House, so we, we thought maybe, hey, maybe the Democrats will do it. The Senate passed it. The, well, the Senate accidentally passed accidentally. it. Accidentally. Because, because uh, Tom, uh, what was Tom the guy? Cotton. Tom Cotton's assistant. No one told him to that they were going to vote on it, and so he was going to object, but no one told him that they were voting on the bill, so... It wasn't it even that. It was yeah. They were. It's one of them deals. They were where doing unanimous consent. The yeah. the the Senate works in a way where one person can yep. hold up an entire package of legislation. Well, I, I mean, we're seeing that right now in a sense with Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, how oh, he's holding up all of those military promotions. That's right. That was that was a a, a rage tweet. I think I sent you out the other day because the the no, I might not have sent you this. The story that I'm seeing, and and have you looked into this a little bit? Because I'm gonna. Okay, the the headlines are always Republicans in the Senate outraged about Tumber, Tuberville's holdup of military appointees, promotions, whatever. Is it re- only Republicans? Because what Democrats in the Senate who control the Senate don't care about military? Do are the Democrats quiet, or is it this one of them things where the Democrats have always held this position, and when one Republican does the thing that Democrats do, then that one Republican gets all the credit for everything. As I'm spitting everywhere, but um, yeah, so, okay, go ahead. Oh, believe me, senators are more than a little hypocritical about this matter because senators love having a lot of power that they individually hold. One senator can really hold things up on their own. At the same time, 
they get really annoyed when other individual senators use their individual power to hold things up. So the Senate is a weird, weird institution. Each individual senator has a ton of power. They love using that individual power. They hate it when other individual senators use their individual power. Right now, we're seeing Republican frustration boiling over at Tommy Tuberville. Senators like— There you go. You said it again. Republican frustration. Yeah. Is it not Democratic frustration? I'm just curious. Well, I think Democrats are certainly frustrated at Tuberville. and They they control-ish the Senate. They do. And the reason, though, that none of this changes is that senators want to preserve their individual power. They are happy to get mad at Tommy Tuberville in the press. They're happy to give speeches on the floor of the Senate that rail against Tuberville, as Dan Sullivan of Alaska did and Lindsey Graham of South Carolina did and Joni Ernst of Iowa did. They're happy to give those speeches, but they also don't want to change the rules that much to take away their own individual power. The Senate is highly individualistic. Each senator has a lot of power. They're very reluctant to give up that power. Yeah, especially now for Republicans because— they don't control the Senate. They're, being, they're in the minority, so they want to preserve the power that they have. And then maybe we see in a, a year that flip and then that power will just – because yep. they can change the rules back and forth all the oh, time. they right? can change the rules whenever they want. Filibuster is the thing. Yeah. That, you know, and we haven't even yelled about the filibuster in a while, so I guess we're not using that right now. But Or maybe we are, and it's just not – Outrage because there's so many other things. It doesn't going really on. come into play, Rick, because the Republicans control the House, the Senate is controlled oh, okay. by the Democrats, and so not a whole heck of a lot is happening. And that means that the filibuster is not that big of an issue because really the bigger issue is that divided government leads to a whole bunch of nothing happening in Congress. Yeah, a whole bunch of well, and, and the the fight right now is something like we're gonna we're gonna take back the IRS money mm-hmm. and give that money to Israel. As opposed to, it's always, this is always the thing. Ukraine, too. Uh, you know, the argument is always, do we have to go give it to Ukraine and Israel? Can we take back the IRS money and and put it towards child care or something, you know, normal? Um, but but Ron Johnson has made the news about this, right? Like, or this is where he gets on his high horse and says, no, we can't. Or, or we should do that because a report said that if we, if we cut the IRS funding that was in the Inflation Reduction Act, it's going to blow the blow up the deficit to an to a degree right yeah rick not to get too into the weeds but there's this thing called the congressional budget office that makes estimates of how much certain bills would cost how much certain bills would reduce or add to the deficit it and rolls off the tongue too right the cbo the cbo estimates blah, and blah, it's blah. always the nonpartisan. The non-part- it is nonpartisan. right And that adds some credibility to their estimates but believe me it also means that both parties get mad at their estimates because they are nonpartisan. In this case, Rick, there was this talk about giving $14.3 billion in emergency aid to Israel and to pay for that, cutting that amount of money from the IRS. But the Congressional Budget Office concluded that if you cut that money from the IRS, it adds to the deficit because then people can maybe get away without paying their taxes or it would reduce the level of tax enforcement that the IRS can engage in, which would add even more money to the deficit from the CBO's analysis. So overall, the bill is estimated to add 
about $27 billion to the deficit between the amount of money that would go to Israel and the lost money that would occur if you and cut the IRS's funding. And there's, that always sounds crazy, but the it's over 10 years, right, yeah, that, that yep, number. So yep. you just move the decimal point over. Yep. It's, what, two two and three-quarter billion dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we give Israel $10 million a, a day. A yeah. day. Like, what are they doing with that $10 million a day? I, it's just like it's one of the things that Obama did, and it was like we're going to do this for the next. It was four three point seven billion dollars. Obama signed it, and it was over the next however many years until it's going to run out here. I think in in either next year or the year after. But the average is ten million dollars a day. It's just the, completely the interesting hilarious. thing, Rick, about the new Speaker Mike Johnson's strategy here is he took a bipartisan issue and made it a partisan issue. Now there could be a strategic calculation there, but it is What's very the bi- issue of giving Israel money. Giving Israel money, very, very bipartisan. If yeah. he had just put the bill on the floor, hey, let's give Israel $14.3 billion. Let's put it on the tab. Let's add it to the deficit. We're not going to offset it. That would have got 400 votes out of the 435 members of the House. And it would have put the Senate in a tough spot because the Senate wants to have Israel and Ukraine together in the aid package. But if you just send them an Israel package, the Senate's under a whole lot of pressure to pass that. You know what package I want to see? If you want to give Israel and Ukraine money, then you also add congressmen can invest in stock in the stock market. Just combine everything together. If you want to win yeah. all the votes, then make Mike Johnson. Let's see that instead of like taking the IRS because the IRS has made it like a. I don't know if this is just the they want this out there, but they they're trying to go after bigger corporations. They need sure. more money to do it. They need more power to do it because corporations can hire all the lawyers. We see this with Amazon right now. Uh, we're fighting Amazon because they're just delete. They've been deleting messages for a two-year window to inflate prices. Is the allegation, and uh, you could read that at WisdomNews.com. But they, Amazon has more money than than just about, well, not the U.S. government, but they they can fight the U.S. government in a lawsuit because they have they have the power to do that. And Rick, this is the logic about how adding more money to the IRS could actually reduce the deficit by having more people going after those corporations by trying to crack down on tax evasion. Now, you mentioned Ron Johnson says that he does not believe the estimates provided by the congressional Yeah, that's right. We kind of skipped that part where Ron Johnson goes, oh, what did he say? It's kind of a funny, he goes, uh, I know the little gnome at the CBO are going to say that I don't believe it at all. Now, <laughs> like, I, I, just, will, I don't believe that. I will say, Rick, this is not to make fun of Ron Johnson, because when any member of Congress dislikes the estimate from the Congressional Budget Office, they just say, oh, I don't believe it. They're just making things up. Yeah. So what Ron Johnson is doing here is a very common tactic. This is a very bipartisan thing. Absolutely. The, the, we, like I would say in the last year, I've probably heard the CBO say something and I go, uh-uh, I don't believe that at all. But I'm not in the government, so I'm just a, a you know, a dummy on the radio. This happens constantly in Washington. The Congressional Budget Office gives you an estimate that you don't like and you just say, well, the Congressional Budget Office is full of it. That's something that happens constantly. We see Ron Johnson doing that here. Probably makes it all the more likely that the CBO is correct. <laughs> you know, when everybody rails against the thing. It's true. They're they're not right all the time. But what is true is that if they give you an estimate that you don't like, you go after them. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about how much flour it would take to make Lake Superior bread. Is that Ooh, it? Okay. And then... um. 
You want to talk about AI in the uh, yeah, like certified AI is right, what I like call it. If you make an AI generated campaign ad, should you have to disclose that? Well, and then can we stop with campaigns? Like, what if I made an AI generated Wisdom News story? You know, okay. do I have to tell? Do I have to put the author down for that? We'll be back. This is out of the blue, out of left field. Here. It really is. This is like one of like Lauren Hill, uh, Wycliffe Jean. I can't think of the group that they were all in together. Was it just Wycliffe Jean? But this is like prime time. Me in high school, baby. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. UW Lacrosse, political science professor, Dr. Anthony Tregoski is in studio with me. Along with my... We started the show just talking about when I send you tweets over Messenger, so Facebook to Twitter, and vice versa. When you put a Facebook post into Twitter, the thumbnail no longer pops up, so you have no idea what you're getting. It just says like a weird, it has this like weird Twitter thumbnail. But the other thing with this, and I, I wonder, because you're reading a lot of news and I'm in the news, and I'm also reading a lot of news. Twitter stopped putting headlines on their tweets. How much of the public... That that probably doesn't ingest news all the time. Kind of goes, I don't, I didn't know that, or I'm not noticing that. I, I it's it's just a weird thing to not put the headline of a story as part of the the atmosphere. Yeah, here. Elon Musk has made a lot of odd changes to Twitter. I mean, he's made those formatting changes. He also just changed the name to X. Right. So I, it's I not even Twitter it. anymore. I refuse it's to X. call it X. <laughs> um, there and then there was a story this week that like X. No, I'll call it X, of course. Uh, you know, when he bought it, and, and it's been a year. I think the year anniversary was this week or last week, and it's uh, like it was $45 billion he bought it for, and it's worth like $22 billion now, yeah. which is probably what it was worth oh. when he bought it. So the story that's like, oh, he's lost $22, 23000000000 billion since buying it, eh, did he or does he just have more money than God and he could just buy it for whatever he wants? I think you so. Know? He did massively overpay relative to its value, but – Hey, when it's Elon Musk, you might have that in your couch cushions. All right. I need to get uh, State Rep Steve Doyle on to talk about this a little bit. And this probably is apples to oranges to what we want to talk about. But the, the subject matter is the same. Um, artificial intelligence. We see uh, Governor Evers did some stuff with our, And I, that might be part of the Steve Doyle thing. Steve Doyle's on like some AI committee to kind of whatever, either utilize artificial intelligence within the government and to kind of maybe not weaponize it or keep it from weaponizing, but uh, you know, uh, as we as we go into the campaign season, probably does the campaign season what, does it start now for next year? I would November say 1st? so. I mean, as of Sunday, we are a year out from the 2024 election, so I would say we are underway with the campaign 2024 season. And part of that is. AI might play a big, big role. I think so. A, the the unfettered AI, there no the the unregulated AI that's run rampant, and we don't know how to control it. It's not quite Terminator yet, but it could be online when it comes to um, weaponizing politics. I suppose, huh? It's a real concern. And Rick, the thing in Wisconsin that's on the table right now is a bill that would require candidates to inform the public if there are artificial intelligence components concluded included in the ad so if like there was ai used to 
produce an ad or AI produced material in an ad that would have to be disclosed. And I think that's an interesting regulation. The idea there more generally is that if anything had AI generated content, would you need to disclose that to the public? I think that maybe is a first step forward in regulation. Now, we are at the very early stages of even thinking about what the role of government might be in AI regulation. But I think that disclosure might be a first step as we think about what the role of government might be here. Okay, so as I talk about like Twitter not like putting headlines and and people might not even know what that means. They might not even know what's happening. They just like, why is there a picture and this person tweeted and there's is this a link? I don't even understand. It doesn't look like a link. Also, if I put certified organic on fruit, you know, we know what that means. It it was grown in a way that doesn't have whatever. I guess we don't know what it means. We we know that it's healthier, right? Or or maybe should be healthier. Um, we talked about this Wednesday with the farmers union president. Okay, so but if I put certified AI or something like that, a little sticker on your campaign ad that says AI created this, as somebody who's watching this, I don't even know what that means. AI created it, therefore it's evil and lies. That's or why, AI created it and therefore it's truthful. Yeah, that's why I think disclosure is a first step, but I don't know that on its own it's sufficient because how much does the public know at this point about the capabilities of right. artificial intelligence? The capabilities are vast, and I think there's more and more information coming out, more and more public awareness of artificial intelligence, but still you wonder just how much the general public understands regarding the capabilities of artificial intelligence. So, none, none. I don't think anyone understands. Yeah, even uh, the people doing the AI don't understand. The, even the people doing the AI do not fully understand how the AI works. There's a certain black box element to this, which makes it somewhat frightening, to be honest. And that's why this type of effort by the government, the commission in the Wisconsin state government from Governor Evers and from Speaker Voss, it's badly needed because right now the government is already behind when it comes to artificial intelligence. The government is already playing catch up when it comes to artificial intelligence, understanding how it could be used to help government, but also understanding the deeply disruptive possibilities bought about by artificial intelligence, the job losses that are possible, the misinformation that is a very real concern with artificial intelligence. And that gets to this bill that's been introduced in the Wisconsin state legislature, that if artificial intelligence generates audio or video in a campaign ad, then there would have to be some disclaimer about that. Now, again, I think that's a first step. I don't know that that fully solves the potential for mischief with artificial intelligence, though. Yeah, this is going to be a lead by example kind of thing or learn by example, I should say, because I'm only going to better understand when you give me an AI generated campaign ad or AI generated anything. What does that mean? Is it is it evil? Is it lies? Because it would be funny like it's it's therefore it's lies or it isn't lies well campaign ads all the time are just you know like there there's no there's are we going to regulate regular campaign ads then too sure i mean and this gets to the very complicated issue of the positives and negatives of artificial intelligence because there are very real positives some things that we can automate some efficiencies that we can gain through artificial intelligence i mean i just read a study that talked about how artificial intelligence can automate some of the documentation that med- medical professionals have yeah, to do yeah that's i was just going to go there yeah, yeah. I, I mean i think that is a prime example of how 
artificial intelligence could be used to achieve efficiencies and potentially lower costs. On the other hand, I do think as a political scientist, there are significant perils for artificial intelligence when it comes to misinformation and when it comes to deep fakes, like using an image or a video to portray someone as saying something that they never said. To fake someone's voice, to fake someone's image, and to use that to spread misinformation. So I think that makes the whole thing really complicated. There are some very compelling positives of artificial intelligence. But as a political scientist, I also worry about how AI could make the misinformation problem even worse. I'm trying to think of the sci-fi-ish movie or TV show that I was watching. And you try to get the person to say... I think it was all the numbers. You tried to record that person to say all the numbers so that you could do the voice recognition code to get into the bank vault or whatever yeah. it was, you know. Um, your, yours and my voices, because of the show, are all over the internet. Artificial intelligence already can can take our voice and, re- and recreate us saying everything because we've said all the vowels and syllables over, you know, it probably only takes one episode of us chatting here for AI to go, all right, well, I got Trigoski and Rick. We can put their own campaign ad out of them saying whatever we want. There is a senator, Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut. They gave an AI program all of the floor speeches that Senator Blumenthal had ever given. And through doing that, AI was able to generate a realistic speech that Blumenthal could give at a committee hearing. And that just shows you the potential for mischief here. I mean, obviously, in this case, it was used for good to show the capabilities of AI. Mm -hmm. But imagine someone who wants to have Richard Blumenthal saying something racist or having something bigoted. They could easily do that. And I don't know how we prepare ourselves for that possibility, but it's coming. And here's the legislation. Wisconsin is saying, when I have... Trigoski's voice and AI's recreated it. And then I make him say something very inappropriate. And I, you're not here on a Friday. I'm like, I'm just going to have AI talk for you. And then AI goes rogue and says something, it says the N word or something very like, we'll get you fired. The, the legislation of Wisconsin says that I just have to put a certified artificial intelligence on that, you know, piece. So people know AI created it, but that doesn't really help the situation, right? You still said the thing. Oh, Rick, here's how ridiculous. But did AI create it or did I create it? You know what I mean? That's a really interesting dilemma because as we've talked about, a lot of the creators of AI programs, a lot of the people involved in these companies don't have full understanding of how the AI programs actually work. It's the black box problem, right? You feed certain information into the AI program, something happens, and then it spits out <laughs> content. And we is don't it know. Is the black box? Is it the Pandora's? What? It it's could, some kind of something, box. Some box is it's, involved. It's, in not a, it's not an empty box where the cat just ends up, is it? Is that what <laughs> right. it is? All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. I, I want to mention this. I don't even want to talk about it. But Governor Tim Wallace, my governor, uh, just posted it. This is the this is the story I've been wondering about for for years, if not since whatever decades. Um, the headline on in the Star Tribune. The Star, I don't like. I don't. Where does this come from? How much flour would it take to turn Lake Superior into bread? I mean, come on. Who has wondered that? Who has time for that? <laughs> Like, it must be. I think about this on a daily and basis. I, and I haven't read the, star, the story at all, but I'm guessing like somebody, 
Oh yeah. So a high school student, you know, decided this is going to be their paper, but it's funny. And, uh, you know, the star tribune apparently has enough reporters out there where they can send somebody to this high school in Minnesota and do an entire story. We don't have that in at wisdom. We just, we don't have time for that. (laughs) Although we did do a high school story where they're, we have seventh graders who've been doing this for eight years where they take the old train plant where we wanted to put a new high school. And they 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 have teams of teams of seventh graders, a lot of teams, come up with how we're going to just like develop this. So it's movie. Th- it's always it's always awesome. It's like all the things that you want, right? Because you're a seventh grader, and of course you want movie theaters and theme parks and um, not a. Kmart. And I, I heard Brad's report on that, and of course, as the listener, it sounds great because. It's like, let's take a sad, abandoned part of the city and make it something super cool that a seventh grader thought of. So, right. of course, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, let's get to it. I mean, Tran, have you sold that site yet? I mean, the, the school district paid six hundred grand to buy it and put a high school there, but they, uh, you know, obviously didn't go through on that deal. All right, last last thing, uh, you know, to, 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 we always end the show on something goofy. And the story that you, you – and I've seen this story, too, I just – I didn't know how to think about think about it, but a restaurant fee that if your kids are acting up, you have to pay. So this one was restaurant adds fifty dollars for an unable to parent fee for rowdy kids, <laughs> and I don't know if it's like, is it is it an escalating fee? If how 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 rowdy your kids are while you're trying to eat dinner, therefore I'm going to determine how much I fine you. It's a fine, not a fee. Yeah, Rick, this is from WANF News. A Georgia restaurant is gaining national attention for charging customers a fee for bad parenting. The menu at Tochoa Riverside Restaurant, uh, about two hours north of Atlanta, offers a selection of dishes like steak, trout, and American fare. But look a little closer and you'll notice something else. At the bottom of the menu is an adult surcharge for customers unable to parent, followed by $3 signs. Now, according to some guests, the exact amount is apparently at the restaurant's discretion, with some saying they were charged $50. One reviewer for Google Reviews said he was charged $50 even though his children were well-behaved. Now, there are some other charges that this restaurant puts on your bill. They charge an 18% gratuity for separate checks and a $3 fee for sharing a plate. So sounds like this restaurant just loves charging fees. Yeah, they're, they're, this is uh, we need government regulation yeah. on Ticketmaster fees. And now we need apparently regu- government regulation on restaurant fees, at least in <laughs> Georgia. Um, yeah, the, the idea that I'm going to fine you if your kids are bad would just connotate the fact that I don't want kids at my restaurant and therefore just put it. But you if say you put no kids allowed and do we, what's the restaurant called? Do we put Tochoa Riverside restaurant. Okay. So it literally has, but if it was like Tochoa Riverside, no kids allowed, then you right. would be like, what are they doing in there? Right. If, cause if you put no kids allowed on the front of your building or somewhere on a sign, it's weird. Right. Like, what are you doing in there that you don't want kids? But also that's what you're doing. $50 though, for a, how bad do your kids got to be? Right. I want to know how rowdy the kids have to be to get charged $20, $30, $40. I wonder if it is that escalating fee that you talked about. Yeah. Like if you brought Savannah, who's a little over a year. She's a year and a she's half. She's a year and a half. She's going to cry maybe. Perhaps. At the restaurant. 
What's the worst shit that a, a, an infant can do besides that? Maybe it has an accident uh, that smells. I don't know if the diaper keeps. I don't know if you could smell that outside the. Di- but but that's it, right? Like a baby cries. Sure. And what's what's the like? Are you? I would feel really bad. I'm the waiter, right? And your baby's crying. Be like ten dollars for that baby. Like that's really mean. That seems very mean. But yeah. then, as you get older, at what point? Okay, two year old doing stuff. Two year olds terrible twos, right? Then the two year olds running around doing. Well, the two year old would be in a booster seat. Maybe sure. would they be in a sure high chair or booster Perhaps. seat? Probably a booster yeah. seat. So the two year old could get loose. But now, also, two year olds are kind of cute. I-, I will say, Rick, it's the reason that I can a little bit understand what the restaurant is doing is they are calling it bad parent behavior, oh, unable yeah, yeah, to yeah. parent as opposed to bad child. This behavior. is the passing of blame. Yeah. Now that I am a little bit more understanding about because it's one thing if a child is acting up, it's another thing if the child is acting up and the parents are not doing anything about it or ignoring it. This is the guns don't kill people. People kill people <laughs> argument. Your kid's bad, but it, it's he's the it's not bad parenting, it's not, and the kid isn't being bad. The kid is being a kid. The kid's being a kid. You can't find. Yep. I mean, the kid. What the kid would really have to do for bad parenting to happen? The kid would really have to do something that is completely off. Here is the two things that I propose. I propose that we understand that kids will be kids. I also under. I also propose that we have patience for parents. That kids will be kids, and as a result, we should be patient towards parents. I also completely buy into the idea that if a parent is not fulfilling their role as a parent, then we should be mad at that parent. Yeah, your kid's going rogue, and he's yep. running and Like, go get your kid. Yeah. Uh, like, act like a parent. But here's uh, – okay, going back to this. Infant baby crying. I don't think you can find an infant baby for crying. Because that's not. not bad parenting. That's just infant baby that's cries. That's called what infants do. So a two-year-old – I mean, if a two-year-old got loose, that's a little bit bad parenting. But also, two-year-olds are cute. So it's going to be – you're yeah. going to feel real bad. If the wait, but and then the, if the waitress is having a bad day, look out because waitresses I I feel probably have a bad day all the time. Yeah. And then next, okay, so now let's go into like ten year old kids. Now you're not cute anymore, really. <laughs> and if you're being a bad ten year old, I don't know what you're doing as a ten year old. Like now the fines are going to escalate just because you got like chubby ten year olds over there like grabbing the pie off the pie thing on the counter but he's grabbing it with his hand here's a question rick at what age do people see a child or or at what age does a child get where people stop smiling and waving at that child because when i'm at the grocery store with savannah and she's riding around in the cart all the time people stop to smile and wave at her at what age does she wave back or is she She does or she smiles at them she's doing the in the parade thing she does the parade parade wave at what age does that stop? Like if you're five or 10, do people stop like waving at that? I'm child guessing and... it's got to be like the eight, nine, 10, right? 11 range. Yeah. But then, and then going back to, we're finding the, una- the unable to parent fine at the restaurant. Now you bring your 17 year old with you. <laughs> but what if he's on his phone the whole time? That's pretty bad parenting. You're like here. We're trying yeah. to have dinner, it, but it's not disrupting oh, anyone, right? But the, is that the rule? Because that's bad parenting. Put your phone away. Like let's like we're at dinner. So let's we need talk. specificity on this menu. Yeah. Unable to parent in the sense that the child is bothering other 
customers right. and the parent is not doing anything about it and is maybe ignoring the situation. But and then who who delivers is the owner like, you know, his arms are folded. <laughs> he's just looking over everyone eating it and going, well, that teen is on his phone the whole time while mom and dad are talking. They're not even addressing. That's bad parenting. Fine. You're fine. <laughs> Yeah, and then the idea that the fines are $50 is completely ridiculous because Come on. If I'm going to eat with my fan, okay, so it's mom, dad and a and a kid, the bill should be $50 seems high for a bill even. Yeah. If I'm thinking about it. Like what? 15 bucks for your meal, 15 bucks sure. for my meal. I guess 15 45 bucks should be like the total. And then you get fined fifty dollars. Get to double that thing, man! I would be outraged. Yeah. I would, uh, I would find. Can I find the restaurant for finding me? I don't know if that works <laughs> right. like that. Um, all right, that's UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski. Thanks everybody th- for listening. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you.